Welcome, and thank you for listening to the Sheepdog Dad podcast. My name is Stuart Jackson, and I am the host and founder of the Sheepdog Dad. Visit thesheepdogdad.com to read articles, listen to podcasts such as this, and sign up for coaching geared towards men, young men, and boys who wish to become responsible stewards of themselves, their families, and society. Please join us on our journey to protect the flock. On this episode, we are joined by Tori Haas. Tori is a Ramsey certified financial coach. He is a serial entrepreneur. And on this episode, we discuss entrepreneurship, financial coaching, financial independence, and how to live a countercultural lifestyle that will keep you from keeping up with the Joneses more for appearances and making good financial decisions that your future self is going to thank you for. Enjoy this episode. Yeah, we have Tori Haas joining us. Uh, let's see, Ramsey Certified Financial Coach and also a big proponent of counterculture, which I think will be a very interesting topic as we get into it. So Tori, I found you just through Instagram because I have been considering the uh, Ramsey Financial Coaching route and just did some searching on Instagram, came across you and just saw that you were kind of doing what I've been doing, trying to organically grow your business, putting yourself out there. And uh, so I really respect that and and like what you're doing because I I like what Dave Ramsey's teachings are and not just Dave Ramsey now, but also the entire Ramsey network with Ken Coleman and John Deloney of what they teach. I think it's very interesting from the career coaching aspect and the uh, psychological aspect of, of Dr. John Deloney. And I guess I'd like to just start the conversation with, I just got done writing the blog that'll be, uh, that'll be posted that goes along with our conversation. And I started that blog and I want to see um, how you think it'll help our conversation. So of course the podcast is the Sheepdog Dad podcast. And usually that's going to be the thought of some type of physical altercation protector type thing, you know, firearms defense, physical hand-to-hand self-defense. But to me, there's also a uh, psychological and mental component of the provider aspect. And so with that comes smart financial decisions. And so that's why I'm glad that you're on this week. So we can kind of talk about those smart financial decisions because uh, that's something that, what, I think it's 75% of Mayor, 75% of divorces are, are financial related. The amount of stress that comes from not having your finances in line, 50% of people can't cover a $1,000 cash emergency. And so I'm really glad you're here just to have that conversation and really, really to preach why it's so important to have financial discipline and financial intelligence. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, it's an honor to be here. And to your point, what you were saying earlier about the post you did, the financial side, you can also consider that as a protector too, because if you can't protect your finances, your your four walls in your budget, which the which is your transportation and uh, housing, utilities, and food, those are four walls that they talk about, that we talk about as uh, financial coaches. But if you can't cover those, then you can't protect yourself and your family. So you're also a sheepdog dad, so to speak, in that sense, if you can protect your, your finances. So obviously that's a huge aspect of, of just what you're 
theme is of your podcast. Well, that's great. I have never heard it put that way of the four walls of finances. So that's an excellent way to put it because you're absolutely right. If if you can't keep a roof over your head and, uh, you know, parents will, will go. Yeah. Yeah. Keep food on the table, at least for the kids. Parents will go without, you know, if necessary. And I'm sure if you haven't seen that yet in your financial coaching, I'm sure you will sooner or later. But uh, well, let's get into a little bit about you. I know you said you've been an entrepreneur for quite a while for, uh, going back to your high school days and community college. So let's just kind of start there on your entrepreneurial journey. Uh, I know whenever we've talked, you talk about having good character as an entrepreneur, which unfortunately there's not enough, um, not enough agreements and that are kept via handshake now. And so let's kind of start there. I think that'd be a, a great, uh, great way to hear about how you've come from your beginnings to where you are now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, essentially when I started off in high school, I, started a candy business. That was my first entrepreneurial idea. I, I called it Haas Candy and Sweets, the Haas Candy and Sweets Company. And I sold anything from Gatorades to donuts to candy bars to hundreds of students over the course of my high school career and even to some teachers. And that kind of got me started on being an entrepreneur. And at that point, I was also reading a couple of Dave Ramsey books, which is we'll talk about later how I got my certification as a financial coach through his company. And that kind of got me on the track of, okay, I need to start focusing on college and how am I going to pay for that? And that spurred on my entrepreneurial side too, obviously, in as far as making money. So after I did the candy business for a little while, I also start, decided to do a landscaping business, which I started calling Toy Hoss Landscaping, and then I named it Toy Hoss Yard and Maintenance later. And I did that all throughout my high school, well, the rest of high school, basically junior and senior year, and then all through my college years. And I still operate that business today. And we, we've basically done everything from building retaining walls to snow removal. I live in the mountains, so there's a lot of snow up here, uh, mowing yards, lawn care, basic small-scale landscaping jobs, grading. We Just a jack-of-all-trade stuff. And the that has been uh, one of my, that's been my biggest entrepreneurial things thus far. And now I'm doing financial coaching alongside of that. So that's another idea, but essentially since, since high school, I've been an entrepreneur and it's, there is a lot to it. It's a lot of young people, my age that I talk to think, man, I've got this great idea I want to do. And, and it sounds like a good idea, but at the same time, there's a lot of extracurricular things that goes into it besides just the idea and the skill set character is one of the things that we talked about earlier that I wanted to stress specifically because there's so many things the skill set is one part but if you don't have the character to go along with it then it's not going to work and character your virtues that make up your character uh, specifically dependability integrity confidence and and a few others but those three I want to hone in on for this your character is what makes up your reputation and your reputation is what your customers think about you. And in my case, when I was in high school, what my peers as my selling candy to them, what they thought about me. And then now as a financial coach or a landscaper, what my, uh, the owner of the person I take care of his yard, what does he think about me or these clients that I'm working for? What do they think about me? And especially those three that I want to mention here, integrity, confidence, and dependability. With dependability, 
that is so important for a young entrepreneur, especially, but for any entrepreneur, especially in my landscaping business, I can't tell you how many people that I have talked to that got my number and they want me to do some work for them or something, but they'll say, yeah, I had this other lawn guy or this other tree man. And he didn't, he never followed up with me. He, he said he was going to, he gave me a quote and I called him and, and he never followed up with me. So here I am, Tori, can you, can you do this? And making those phone calls when, when somebody texts you or sends you a phone call and says, Hey, I, could you come and look at this job or, Hey, uh, I'm interested in financial coaching. Could you, uh, can we talk about this a little bit? If you don't, if you're not dependable enough to follow up with that, even if it's something that you may not want to do, maybe you don't really want to do the job and you have to turn them down, but you shouldn't just ghost the person. Young people just want to ghost anybody on social media that they don't want to talk to. And if you're trying to grow your business on social media, especially when people reach out to you that way, you really need to be dependable. If you have to tell them no, that's fine, but at least follow up with them is what I'm saying. The other thing, integrity, that this kind of follows in with trustworthiness. As a landscaper, one thing I do, the community that I work in is kind of a nicer area. And, and there's a lot of summer homes from the people we call Floridians in the mountains of North Carolina is where I'm from. And, and they call them, we call them Floridians. They've got summer homes up here. And sometimes I do house checks for people, which requires a ton of integrity because sure you've got ring cameras, but if you if you are willing to trust somebody to give them a key to your house, that is a big deal for doing any kind of uh, yard work around the house or inside work around the house. So making sure you are sociable with them and you can grow a connection with them that they can trust you and they say, okay, this is, this is somebody that I trust to work around my house when I'm not there. If you can get to that stage, you're going to grow clients like crazy. It's, it's just a matter of time and, and getting your name out there. Obviously, any, any situation, you're going to need integrity. Uh, the other thing, confidence, that's something that I think a lot of young people don't have as far as when they have an idea. And I've struggled with that too. It's just anybody that's going to start their own business is going to be nervous. When I started my Haas Candy and Sweets business in high school, I was nervous as I'll get out. What are my peers going to think about me? When I started Tori Ross Yard of Maintenance, I was thinking, oh, what are these people going to think about me? I'm just a humble landscaper. Just, I'm just the yard guy. What are they going to think of me? But you can't let that those doubts and fear get ahead of get get you off track and where you don't think you can do this. You you just need to tell yourself, do in spite of fear. Okay, when I come onto this podcast here, yeah, I'm a little nervous, but I do it in spite of fear. And if you if you're not willing to do it in spite of the fears, then you're not going to do it at all, and you're never going to break that barrier down. Another thing with confidence is that you don't have to reinvent the wheel a lot of young people especially think of entrepreneurs as somebody that comes up with something completely new but you don't have to reinvent the wheel I, I did a I sold candy in high school I, I do landscaping I didn't reinvent anything I just wanted to do something and I did it and it wasn't and I surrounded myself with other people especially in landscaping that were already in that field people much older than me and wiser that had experience and you, if you get a group like that, you can ask them questions to help you through any questions that you have when you're doing your own business. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Just, just think of something simple that you want to do that you have a little bit of interest in and you want to make some extra side money. It doesn't have to be a long-term career. It can be a temporary thing just to make some more money, but doing something that you kind of enjoy is, is obviously important. But 
as a young person, especially your focus, my focus for these landscaping, my landscaping business, my candy business is mostly just to focus on paying for college. It, it, at a, as an adult, it may be something that you actually want to go into, but before we move on from entrepreneurship, I do have a question that came to me. Have you throughout, you know, your high school years prior to starting Haas Candy, did you ever have a job where you were working for someone else, like the typical McDonald's fast food, you know, bagger at the grocery store? Did you ever have a job like that that was not entrepreneurial? No, I honestly have never had a job like that. I've when I started my landscaping business, I have, and I still do somewhat. I worked part-time like one or two days a week for another landscaping. Well, he's actually an interior designer up here. And I would take care, he would do interior design at these houses and I would take care of the outside. So that's really the only job as far as being an employee that I've had. But even still, it wasn't a full-time or it was not even really part-time, maybe two days a week. So mostly I've just been an entrepreneur. <laughs> That's that's really that's really interesting just because me, you know, I grew up with a dad who was a police officer. My mom was an administrative assistant. Neither one of them have any uh, college degrees. And, you know, it was the work hard and you can elevate in the company, you know, and nowadays me being a millennial. I think of that meme of, you know, people just saying, oh, if I work hard and don't use my sick days and I'll, someone will notice me. And it's just the picture of the guy putting the clown face on, you know, and so that's really I think that's really great about you never having a quote unquote real job where you're working for someone because, you know, you just you had the entrepreneurial spirit from the start and you have made it work. And now, like what you told me, where now you're you still got the landscaping, but now you're uh, kind of making more of a professional transition to financial coaching. And so tell me, how has that been with essentially not starting over as an entrepreneur, but starting over in a new field, having to make new contacts, you know, new mentors? How's that been? Well, I want to stress what you said just a second ago about working uh, uh, like an employee versus employer. One thing there I want to say is there's nothing wrong with being an employee or there's nothing wrong with being an employee while you're also self-employed doing an entrepreneurial thing. I've just transitioned from my candy business, then I transitioned to landscaping, and then I transitioned to financial coaching. But I didn't just quit candy and I didn't, and then I just quit landscaping. Now I'm just doing financial coaching. You've got to have, obviously, you have to have an income. So while you're growing this idea, like for example, my in my situation, while I'm growing my financial coaching practice, I continue to do what I did last my last entrepreneurial idea, like uh, Tory Haas Yard and Maintenance, my landscaping business. So that's kind of how you should work it if you are trying to do that, or you work a regular paying job. I mean, uh, just a regular self-employed, uh, uh, an employee job, just a regular job. Then you work your side business until you can grow it to the extent you want where you can just live off of that. Don't just quit your job and then do that. That's something that uh, some people kind of get wrong. And I want to stress that one. But as far as financial coaching goes, my financial coaching practice, first off, I want to say that people can be kind of confused between what is a financial coach versus an advisor. A financial coach focuses on behavioral finance. If anybody watch it, listens to Dave Ramsey, what he always says is that personal finance is 80% behavior, 20% head knowledge. 
a financial advisor is going to focus on selling investments and more some of the knowledge, although the financial coach does the knowledge just as well, but they have a financial advisor has a license where they're going to sell you investments, which is good in its own right, but they're more of trying to get you to buy their, their product. They're selling this to you, which again, it's right. It's fine in its own right. But a financial coach is where I'm going to get in the weeds with you. We're going to talk about your financial situation Get right here, right now. What are you doing? What's, what's going on in your life? Let's understand the situation. The, the three principles of financial coaching is understand the situation, provide information, and inject hope. That's what I do. I understand where you're at right now. understand your situation. Then I, as a coach, provide the information that I can to help you, and then I inject hope. Because a lot of people, especially today with the crazy amounts of debt our country's in and just individuals with consumer debt, student loan debt, et cetera, et cetera, they don't feel like they have a lot of hope. And that's one thing as a coach that we especially stress for and help people realize, hey, there is a way out of here. And with the financial coaching, I know that in our conversations, you have talked about instilling that hope, like what you just said, of for individuals to be good stewards of their money. And so can you expand on that? And I know that's going to kind of lead us into your views on countercultural um, counterculture of societal norms, specifically about debt free. And so let's definitely jump into that because I, I have really enjoyed those brief conversations that we've had so far. Yeah. Yeah. The I like to take it back to the beginning of where do these foundations come from? And my find, my foundations with money aligns with the Ramsey Foundations, which is we stress for living a debt-free lifestyle. Obviously, that's very countercultural. Few people actually live a debt-free lifestyle. It's just that's the main the mainstream is debt. The mainstream is financially broke. We advocate that. But where does that come from? Well, it's biblically based principles that myself and the Ramsey the solutions, if anybody knows anything about their company, that they are a Christian-based company and and myself being a Christian, I follow the Bible and their teachings. And, and even if you're not a Christian, there's a lot of wisdom that you can gain from reading the Bible. And a couple of examples, I'm just going to give a couple Bible verses from this about money, because there's a lot that the Bible actually says about money. Overall, the Bible is going to say that debt is bad. I'm not saying it's a salvation issue for any Christians listening. It's just wise principles. For example, the most obvious one that everybody knows is Proverbs 22.7, which is the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. A lot of people have heard that Bible verse used. Essentially, the Bible is saying debt is bad. <laughs> Another one, which talks more about saving for retirement, saving long-term, thinking long-term about your money, is Proverbs 21.20, which is in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. That follows into what the mainstream culture talks about today and the divide between me as a, being a countercultural, living a countercultural lifestyle is with finances and other things and what the mainstream culture teaches. The mainstream culture teaches live in the moment, do whatever feels good, don't think long-term about your money or anything, but as the Bible says, and as we don't even have to see the Bible for this, we can just look in reality to see what's going on with Americans, just everyday Americans, is that living in the moment and doing whatever feels good is a straight way to financial ruin. That's just 
it's it's just not you're not being a good steward of your money you're not thinking long term and you're not preparing for the long term the countercultural side on the other hand is live below your means prepare for the future avoid debt at all costs and again that's very countercultural but what you get out of living that way is freedom and the ability to do stuff like we were talking about earlier with entrepreneurship, you have the ability to start that business, to get married and have kids, start a family. That's one thing that if you look at these statistics, people, especially with student loan debt, as we'll get to in a second, they say that because of their student loans, they've had to put off major purchases like buying a house, uh, starting a family, et cetera, buying a car, whatever that may be, because they're so financially strained by the debt that they're in. And that's what the mainstream culture does to people with their, if they follow that advice with money, living in the moment, you get met, your, your financial lifestyle does not allow you to prepare for the future, which means you're not going to, when those big emergencies and those big expenses come up and those big goals that you have with your business or family, et cetera, come up, you're not going to have prepared for them. So you're going to be in trouble. I started on personally with my lifestyle, with this, I have never taken out a business loan. I've never taken out student loans. I paid my way through college with my entrepreneurial ideas. I graduated debt-free with a four-year degree in finance. And uh, with my landscaping business, I've bought fairly large equipment like uh, lawnmowers and even a tractor, but I've never taken out a business loan. I've always just moved my business at the speed of cash. And that's the way, that's the only way I've lived. And because of that, it's given me so much financial peace to say, if I want to pursue something else like financial coaching, I'm not restrained by my past decisions. I'm not worrying about the student loans that I owe because I don't have any. I don't have to focus on that. I have to pay, some people have to pay thousands of dollars to their past because of those decisions when they could be spending that money towards their future. And that's another thing back to the freedom that you get from living a debt-free lifestyle. Now, a lot of people are probably thinking, Okay, how does how do I even do that? Especially if they don't know anything about the Ramsey principles. It's not easy, but it's simple. It's very simple. And there's a seven, they call them the seven baby steps. That Ramsey Solutions, the company that I got my financial coaching certification through, that's what they came up with. And I'm gonna read these baby steps off and we'll get we'll cover these in a little bit when we get into college and student loans and uh, paying for college, but just to give you a brief rundown of them, baby step one, well, first up, the ba the seven baby steps are your quickest path to building wealth and getting rid of debt. That's essentially what they're designed for. And they do work. I've followed them in my life and the Ramsey people and other financial coaches have helped millions of Americans get out of debt, get out of some terrible situations and actually build wealth and achieve financial peace, which is two words that doesn't often go together. <laughs> These seven baby steps are as follows. Baby step one is put $1,000 in a beginner emergency fund. Baby step two is pay off all debt using the debt snowball. Now, what is the debt snowball? Well, you would list all of your debts, credit card debt, car loan. You, you don't include your mortgage in this. Uh, student loans, other debts that are not your mortgage. And you would pay them off from smallest to largest, regardless of the interest rate. That's not what people tell you because most people say pay off the one that's got the highest interest rate, but you're trying to get momentum. And momentum is a very powerful tool 
when you're trying to get out of debt and build wealth. Baby step three is to have a fully funded emergency fund, which is three to six months of expenses. Baby step four is investing 15% of your household income into retirement via tax-favored retirement plans. Baby step five is save for your kid's college, your children's college, if you have kids. That's one we'll cover in a little bit when we get into student loans and paying for college. Baby step six is paying your home off early. And baby step seven is build wealth and give. Baby steps one through three are the tough ones. But once you get into four, five, and six, you do those simultaneously. And that's when you really see the ball rolling more. That gives you, and you can look all this up on Ramsey Solutions website. They have, they go into it a little more in detail. We don't have time to discuss it fully here, but that just gives you a rough rundown. So there is a very simple, challenging, but simple process that you can use to get out of debt and start living a debt-free lifestyle and providing a legacy for your future self, retiring with dignity, whatever your financial goals are. Before and before we continue on with the student loan debt crisis, I do want to I do have a question that came up. So when it comes to financial coaching and like what you said, where, uh, well, Dave Ramsey has said that financial coaching and spending habits are 80 percent, you know, mental or emotional and 20 percent about the actual you know, money. What have you found when when working with clients on their willingness to ex not listen to you, but accept what you're saying as, hey, this is a simple, not easy way to proceed, to have peace in the future. Your future self is going to significantly thank you for doing this. How have you seen working with clients on if there's a lot of resistance, how, you know, if, if you have come to see a pattern of, you know, after the third or fourth session, okay, you can start to see the wall positively breaking down on that, that uh, mentality. What have you seen by working with clients? Yeah, great question. The, when, I've, when I've coached younger people around my age, maybe they're in college or they are around that college age, young adult, they are, seem to be more willing to, well, I'm not going to say everybody, but, but they, they seem more willing to listen to what I have to say and, and take my advice seriously because, they, because they're honestly pretty countercultural if they're actually willing at a young age to get financial coaching because they recognize the long-term impact that their current financial situation is, their current financial habits are doing. So they're thinking long-term by saying, okay, I need to learn these principles now so that I can get set up for a lifelong journey of wealth building and winning with money. Adults, on the other hand, can be a little more uh, set in their ways, so to speak, especially, and some of it probably has to do with talking to a young buck like me because the mindset is, I know everything I need to know about money. I don't need to listen to this guy. I mean, he's in his 20s. And what can I, he's 22. What can I learn from him? Uh, that's not everybody, but it's just some people are just not as willing to do it than others. And that's okay. It's not like I'm forcing you to change your lifestyle because obviously the old saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, you can teach an old dog new tricks, but it's a lot more challenging. <laughs> let's, let's just put it that way. And there's, it really depends on how, your situation is and how 
willing you are to change and make your life better from that situation. I think there's a – Dave Ramsey sometimes says you're going to change when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, essentially. That's a quote that they say. If you're not really willing to change or if you're in a okay situation, yeah, you got a little bit of debt, but you're making ends meet, whatever. You could be doing better, but if you're satisfied in that situation, then you may be fine. But there's always more you can improve on, and that's what I try to stress to people as much as possible. That makes me feel better that you said that last part. If you're doing okay, you might be satisfied because that's how I feel we are right now. Whenever I wrote my blog, the very first sentence was, I'm going to call myself out on this blog post. I do not follow the seven baby steps as I should. And it's funny because you hit the nail on the head of our situation. We're doing well for our age. We have a positive net worth. We have debt. We could be doing better. But it's like, oh, is it worth the cognitive output right now you know i tell myself well we got a toddler and we got another baby on the way and we do have positive net worth uh we're doing okay for where we are so so that was talking directly to me uh (laughs) that was that was very good and and i will say this too you know it'd be unfortunate if someone older than you comes to you for advice and because yeah you're only 22 but if the jobs quit coming in for you for a couple months, you're going to be able to make ends meet for a couple months because you are debt-free and you have put some savings away. A lot of people, if they lost their job tomorrow and they're driving a $50,000 car and living in a three hundred fifty or $400,000 house, they're going to be scrambling real quick on how to keep that lifestyle up and without losing any sleep. So, so it's, uh, you know, it's all about keeping up with the Joneses and making the conscious decisions to live below your means as you have touched on. To your, to your point right there, again, that's why I ran all of my business at the speed of cash because mm-hmm. if you was to take out, say I bought a lawnmower, I financed the lawnmower, I financed the tractor, I financed other power tools, et cetera, et cetera. But then, and, and everything's going great during the summer because everybody needs lawn care done. Man, I'm just racking it in everything's great but then we get to winter and it turns out that it doesn't snow hardly any and so there's no snow removal to do and obviously the grass doesn't grow in the winter well then i've still got to make all these payments and if you're not in a good financial position especially and if you don't even have an emergency fund then you're really going to be struggling that winter you may even have to get another job just to cover your butt on this entrepreneurial idea that you have so what I what I like to say with businesses is you should just grow it at the speed of cash by starting with starting small. Like for example, when I started my landscaping business, I didn't go out and buy a tractor and a lawnmower. I used an old junky push mower from my mom. My, it was my mom's old junky push mower, uh, a weed eater with a broken weed eater head on it, and a little handheld battery powered blower. I mean, somehow I got clients like that. I don't know how, but I did. But you start small, start what you can afford with. Don't worry about optics. I, I think I went on Vistaprint and printed off some little magnets that were about 30, 40 bucks on the side of my truck, spent $10 or $15 on some business cards, handed them out at church. And I just grew it over time. And as I got more demand, then I could afford to pay cash for other nicer equipment to do more jobs. So start small. Don't be afraid of humble beginnings. And you just gradually keep going up. 
Very good. Uh, well, let's uh, definitely dive into the paying for college, the student loan debt crisis, if you want to call it that. Uh, let's see, just last week, I put out a blog on pursuing uh, other avenues of education besides higher ed. So like apprenticeships uh, and some type of, you know, more, you know, for lack of a better term, blue collar type jobs where you can do on the job training and, you know, welding, metal workers, iron workers, stuff like that. And the figure I saw when typing up a blog was that currently Americans have approximately, I believe it was $1.75 trillion in student loan debt. And you are not a part of that statistic. I am part of that statistic. And so uh, let's, uh, let's talk about that, about young adults, teens, paying for college, how parents, if they want to assist, if they're financially able to assist paying for college, let's kind of dive into that topic. Yeah, the, college, the whole college talk is one of my favorite things. Obviously, since I, I graduated college debt-free, I'm super passionate about that, helping other young people do that. But before I even, when I'm talking to somebody, for example, a, a young person, like maybe they're in high school, for example, and before you even start the conversation of how to pay for college, you should ask yourself, should you even go to college? And I've got, I have kind of three check marks that I use to determine if you can't check these three off, then you shouldn't go. I'm going to go over these here. That will, that, that is something I like to tell young people when I'm talking to them. And it's very countercultural. So not everybody agrees with these rules, but I think if you're going to go to college, the only way to do it is the, the countercultural way, which is what I'm going to say here. The first thing is earn your degree debt-free. That's just uh, uh, regardless. If you can't pay for cash for college, you shouldn't go. That doesn't mean, I mean, that includes scholarships, grants, just no loans. And that may take time. You may have to take a gap year. You may have to not get to go to your dream school. But what you're trading for working your tail off for just a few years of your life, you trade, you're trading that inconvenience for a long-term financial peace. For example, the, there's a statistic that says uh, from Cengage that says uh, most students think they'll pay their student loans off in about six years after graduating. But the reality, it takes about 20 years to pay it off. So you could be spending decades of your life paying your past off when instead you could just work really hard for just a few years and cash flow your way through school. You may not get the college experience, which is we all know is kind of just partying anyway, but you're going to be much better off in the future. The second thing is major in something that people will pay you to do. Major in something worthwhile. Uh, if you look at, there's several websites you can go on to look at return on investment for your degree. That's what I encourage you to do. Specifically, some of the top ones would be engineering, medical, law. Those fields, you're going to make great money doing, and that's a worthwhile degree as far as the statistics on the return on the investment you're going to get for the time and the money you spend. Even something like finance, what I majored in, I majored in finance and banking, a bachelor's degree. And as a financial coach, I could have easily just skipped that degree and done financial coaching and nothing would have changed because the, honestly, most of the stuff they teach you in the business schools and finance is that debt is good. And I know that's mainstream. So naturally they're going to teach that. They're not going to teach countercultural principles like what I'm advocating for, but 
it's not going to help you win with money if you follow those principles that they're teaching you there. And another thing, most of your finance professors that are teaching personal finance on how to manage your money are so deep in debt that it's like getting advice from a, a fat person on how to lose weight. You, you got to, if you want to lose weight, you go to somebody that runs a 5k or a 10k. And then you say, Hey, how, how do you lose weight? I'm, I'm trying to lose weight. You don't go to an obese person and say, how do I lose weight? They're not going to help you. It's kind of the same principle. Uh, the, the third thing, which is very interesting. I like, I like to stress this one is have a contingency plan. A lot of young people go to school and they, they don't work in college. They get the college experience because that's, why so many young people want to go nowadays. But when they get out, they just think, okay, I can major in anything. And when I graduate, I'm going to make six figures easy. I just get that degree. I get that piece of paper in my hand and I've got it made. It's over. I can pay off my debts in no time because I'll be just racking it in. But the reality is that most people are not going to make anywhere near six figures when they first start out. You're going to probably just get an entry-level job. And some degrees aren't going to pay hardly anything, which is why I said major in something worthwhile. But you've got to have a backup plan in case your degree doesn't work out, which for me was my landscaping business, Tory Haas Yard of Maintenance. Is say I got a I got my financial degree and I was going to go work for a financial firm or a bank or something, but then I didn't get the job or or my degree didn't actually pay off as much as I thought it would. Well, if I didn't have a backup plan or a, a business to fall back onto in this case, then I would be just really messed up. I'd be screwed financially. I'd be working at a fast food place again. I'm not saying that you need to start your own business during, during college to have that contingency plan, but you need to at least have some kind of a skill set or a side business that you can do that you could at least live off of temporarily until you figure out your next plan in case your degree doesn't pay off. I don't care if you're majoring in law or engineering or uh, philosophy. You should have a contingency plan because the degree does not guarantee anything. There's a lot of people that go to law school and they don't finish or they, they get their degree and then they're like, man, I don't really like law. And then they, they are, now they're screwed because they don't enjoy what they're doing. So they're trying to get something else. It doesn't matter what you're majoring in. If you don't have a contingency plan in case your degree doesn't pay off, you could be in trouble. And it's all about minimizing risk. Yes, hopefully your degree will pay off, and I hope it does, but there's always a chance that it won't. That's the three principles, again, earn your degree debt-free, major in something people will pay you to do, and have a contingency plan. Personally, if you can't, if I couldn't check off those three boxes, then I wouldn't go, and I don't recommend that you go. This is all about minimizing risk and thinking long-term. Now, as, as far as how to pay for college. If you've gone through those three steps and you, and you know you can do those three steps, you're going to major in something worthwhile, you can get your degree debt-free and you've got some kind of contingency plan just in case things doesn't work out. And, and with the contingency plan, even if it's a job, even if it's a job that you hate, at least have something. You got to at least have something. Okay. I'm not, again, I want to stress that. I'm not saying you have to start your own business and grow it huge. So you have a huge contingency plan. This is just if you have some kind of skill set or some business or some job that you can fall back on, that's all I'm saying. Now, as far as how to go through college debt-free, 
I've got two perspectives, one from the teenager's perspective and the other one from the parents or grandparents' perspective. With a kid's perspective, a teenager's perspective, you need to start as early as possible, especially working. You need to think about college as early as possible. You need to start working as early as possible. I started my candy business in 10th grade. That was when I first started making money. I mean, I had worked for my dad in middle school and high school, but that's just a family business job that I just did occasionally. But as far as actually trying to do something, starting to get a job, starting to be an entrepreneur, I started in 10th grade and you should start as early as possible because the early you start, the earlier you start working, the quicker ahead you're going to get in life. That is just a reality. And that doesn't mean you can't win with money. That doesn't mean you can't graduate uh, college debt free, but the early, it's just a fact of life. The earlier you start, the better off you're going to be financially. I would encourage you to explore some of your passions. Like what I did with candy. I, I knew I like to talk to people. So I thought, okay, well, I'll just try to be a salesman. See how that plays off. And, and it played off well. And you should try some, maybe, maybe you think about, you, you might want to be a veterinarian. Well, you can't be a veterinarian in high school, but what you can do is walk dogs or uh, take care of dogs for people. So you're doing something in that field, so to speak, that may be just very minor and basic. But it's still something you enjoy doing. And that will help you decide what degree you want to major in later. Because a lot of people go to college and then they decide what they want to major in. But by then, you're going to probably be wasting semesters, if not years, of your life and thousands more dollars. So now in high school is the time to do that. The next step after high school is, well, during high school, you need to apply for scholarships too, as many as you can, and FAFSA. Real quick with scholarships, I only applied for like 50 scholarships, I think, which is, I encourage you to do way more than that. That's not that many, relatively speaking. And I, out of those 50, I got four scholarships. Guess which ones they were between local or international? I'd be willing to bet they were 100% local. Yes. All four of them were local. And I applied for more international ones than local. It was a, it was probably like a 70-30 gap or something. But what I'm saying, all that is to say is focus on local. I don't care if it's $500 or $1,000. You see the international ones that say $100,000. You're like, oh, man, I'm definitely going to apply for that one. I'll, I'll get that one. I'll be fine. Chances are, no, you're not going to. But if you get a $500 here, $1,000 there, a couple thousand dollars here, $1,500, even just a $100 scholarship, that'll pay for something. So focus on local ones more than the international. You can do some, but, but focus more on local. As far as FAFSA goes, only if, if you qualify for it, only focus on grants. Don't focus on loans. Don't get the loans because you'll have an option in FAFSA to do uh, grants, which is the government gives you that money. Loans, you have to pay back. Don't do grant, don't do loans, focus on grants. And since this podcast came out in October, FAFSA, the application for FAFSA started in at the beginning of October. So if you are listening to this as a parent or as a young person and you can apply for that, now is the time to hop on because some of those uh, funds that they give out are time-based. So the earlier you get in, the more likely you are to get some. So now is the time to do it. it uh, yesterday was the time to do it. But if you're listening to this, you haven't, do it today. After high school, when you graduate high school, your next step 
should be the community college. A lot of young people in high school get peer pressure. They get peer pressured into thinking that the community college is for losers. I got that peer pressure big time. And I there was a lot of months in my senior year where I genuinely did not want to go to the community college because all of my peers were – I remember hearing somebody say, the community college is for losers. And I was thinking, man, I probably just need to go to a four-year university. I'm not a loser. So, but the, but now looking back on it, I'm so glad I did, but you've got to get over that peer pressure because it is very real. And your teachers too will probably tell you, well, you need to go to a four-year university and get the college experience. Let me clarify the college experience for a second. That 90% of that is just a bunch of stupid decisions, partying and wasting your time and wasting your life away. I don't care what your campus tour guide says most kids getting the college experience that want to go to college to get the experience are just making bad decisions. So you should avoid the college experience. Luckily, if you go to the community college, there's very little college experience typically. So that's going to save you a lot of bad decision-making. When you go to the community college too, now that is the time you definitely need to figure out what you want to do because you're spending, I think, for example, I went to the community college and I think my tuition was like $1,100 a semester compared to three or four times that at a university. So now is the time for you to figure out exactly what you want to do if you've not done that yet in high school, because don't wait to the university to figure that out. You're going to be spending way too much money. If you have to take an extra semester to figure it out, do it at the community college. It'll save you so much money. Obviously, just going to the community college in general, you're going to save a ton of money compared to the university. But most people want to get a four-year degree, so the next step would be the university after that. I've got a few rules that you should follow if you're going to, follow, if you're going to go to the university after the community college. Some people don't. Some people get their degree at the community college or they get a trade there, which is totally fine too. And Because a lot of community college are technical institutes too where they offer trade uh, Welding, carpentry, uh, cosmetology, stuff like that. And then you could get a two-year degree or a year and a half or something, and you'd be totally fine if that's what you want to do. If you want to go to the university like what I did, you should first focus on finding a local university. For example, I went to Appalachian State University, which anybody from Texas knows that they beat Texas A&M recently, so that's probably the only reason why anybody even knows that school. It's, it's, there's about 21,000 kids there. So it's relatively small, but I live about 45 minutes away from there. So I was able to commute. I stayed at home during this time because uh, my parents were thankful, were gracious enough, enough to let me stay at home while I'm in school. I didn't have to move out and I commuted 45 minute commute. Yeah, that kind of sucks. It's a little bit of a drive, but I'm saving a ton of money by not staying on campus or uh, staying at an apartment outside of campus. And again, it goes back to the college experience. I want to stress what my experience was with that there at the university level. When I went to the university level at App State, I basically did nothing other than my schoolwork. I went to one football home game my entire time there, uh, two years or a year and a half or something like that. And I didn't join any clubs. I didn't do any sports, uh, intramural sports. I'm not saying that 
it's wrong for you to do that. I'm not saying that you have to miss every home game. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the reason why I did that was because I chose to work more and focus less on the college experience. And I focused on why am I going to college? Am I going to college to have a good time, which is what a lot of young people do? Or am I going to college to get my degree and get the heck out of here and get in the real world and start making some money and doing my career? That was what I was focused on. So when you go there, you need to have the mindset of, sure, you can have a little bit of fun. I mean, for, for Halloween one year, I dressed up in a, a clone trooper from Star Wars costume, and, and I had a lot of fun. I'm not saying you can't have fun, but you should recognize that you're going there to learn something. You're not going there to party. This isn't a four-year vacation or a two-year vacation as a transfer student. Focus on your degree. Sure, make some friends, go to some football games, have some fun, but at the same time, Focus on, make sure your degree is priority, what you're learning is priority. If you can't go to a local university, stay in state if at all possible, because if you go out of state, you're going to be paying significantly more unless you get an out-of-state waiver to a university that's out of state. The last thing is search around for the cheapest housing if you have to go uh, away from home. You can't commute if it's in, whether it's in-state or out-of-state. Don't just gamble that the uh, on-campus housing is the cheapest. Do your research. Find the cheapest place to live. Don't stay in the nicest uh, luxury apartments for college students because nowadays they have these ritzy apartments for college students and they're paying way more than they should just to go to college. And that's ridiculous. Go something cheap. I don't care if it's got just – if it's got holes in the wall. Focus on cheap right now because – Later in life is when you can enjoy things. Right now, you got to focus on your degree, getting that degree debt-free and, and preparing for your future. Now is not the time to have fun. From the parent's perspective, that's the young per that's the teenager's perspective. From the parent's perspective, the first thing I'll say is going back to high school, encourage your kids to and support them to work early and build smart money habits, which goes back to the principles of the, of the Ramsey principles, the seven baby steps. If you as a parent are doing that and you're teaching that to your kids, that's going to start your kids on a significantly better uh, head start than possibly you did, you were at that age. So teaching them good money habits like this is going to set them up to win with money for life. Again, my parents were supportive of me working at a young age and that helped me give, that gave me more of a confidence to start my own business uh, to be a candy salesman and to start doing landscaping and yard work. So, so don't discourage them from working in high school or college, because I know there's kind of a narrative that says, well, I don't want to hurt little Jimmy while he's in high school. I mean, he needs to focus on his schoolwork or he needs to focus on his schoolwork in college. He doesn't be working then. Look, we could spend an entire podcast on it being on college being, uh, Oh, a waste of time because there's a lot of stories I could tell about college being very dumbed down. But the point is teach them to work early and that's going to help them pay for school too. I know we're pushed for time, so I'll hurry up on these. No. The, yep. When you get, when you get to the other thing with parents and grandparents paying for school is the uh, what, what, how can you help them pay for school with an investment account? We teach that you should be on, well, baby step five, going back to the baby steps, is safe for your children's college. But 
you should focus on baby steps one through four before you go to baby step five because your child's degree is not going to pay for your retirement. You've got to take care of your house first before you can help little Jimmy or little Sally out. It's not to say you shouldn't. You sh if you can do it, that's great. But you got to take care of your house first and then you can help them because they can work and pay their way through college too. When, that when it comes down to those two accounts, you, you have two types of accounts for paying for your kid's college that you can help, help them do that. There's a 529 and an ESA. The ESA stands for Education Savings Account. These two accounts are very similar. I'm just going to give a handful of, of differences between the two. For an annual contribution limit, with a 529, there is no there is no annual contribution limit. But if you, as far as as of 2020, if you contribute over $15,000, you may have to pay a gift tax. With an ESA, the contribution limit annually is only $2,000 per child. Another thing about 529s compared to ESAs is that the preset there's only a preset group of investment options with a, a 529. With an ESA, you can choose about any investment option. So you have more freedom of choice with an ESA. With the other thing, with a, benef a beneficiary age limit, on a 529, there is none. With an ESA, it's 30, which means you, you, must, you need to use it by the, by the time your kid turns 30. And you can't contribute after 18 to an ESA, after the, your kid turns 18. They both can be transferred to another child as long as they're related to the original beneficiary, which is a plus. As far as which one is better than the other, I can't really determine that. I can't say yay or nay. They both have pros or cons, but that's something as a financial coach, we would sit down and understand your situation and then see which one works for you. So do your research on both because they do have pros and cons. Very good. I think that's excellent advice and probably uh, advice that the majority of individuals are not considering uh, when they really should be. So excellent advice. Uh, I think it's been a educational conversation for me. So where can people find you, Tori, to make sure they connect with you and get hooked up with your financial coaching practice? Uh, you can DM me on Instagram at Tori Haas, T-O-R-Y underscore Haas, H-A-A-S, two A's, one S. And if you, if you have any questions about financial coaching, you can DM me on there, message me on Instagram. And I also have a Facebook, Tori Haas. You can message me on there too if you have any questions. I'd love to talk to you. I do in-person uh, financial coaching, but I also do Zoom for long distance. So you can also, we can do Zoom coaching. So that's, that's how you can reach me there. And uh, if you have any questions, reach out to me. Great. Well, we'll definitely get it linked up too in uh, the show notes and we'll tag on social media too. We'll tag your Instagram for sure. And I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and just hang tight and we'll uh, wrap everything up offline. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining this episode of the Sheepdog Dad podcast. Thanks especially to our guest, Tori Haas, for coming on to discuss his financial coaching practice and his views on countercultural financial independence. You can get in touch with Tori on Instagram at Tori underscore Haas, T-O-R-Y underscore H-A-A-S. And you can also find him on Facebook at Tori Haas. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a five-star rating and review and sign up for our upcoming newsletter. 
Visit thesheepdogdad.com for more topics such as this and to sign up for our exclusive coaching service, Protect the Flock. Visit originusa.com and support American jobs and American manufacturing. Use the code JACKSON10 for 10% off all orders. That is J-A-C-K-S-O-N-1-0 for 10% off all orders at originusa.com. Until next time, keep your head on a swivel.